Hey, Modern Commerce. Welcome back. We've got another great interview for you today. My man John is going to lead this one for us, and you know we're excited to get into it. But before we do anything else, you got to hear this word from our sponsor real quick. What's up, everybody? This is John and Casey from ModCom, and I have to show you something. All right. This tool is called Wicked Reports. It's one of the best attribution tools I've ever seen because of this feature called Funnel Vision. It breaks up your ROAS into top, middle, and bottom of funnel. So I'm here in my Facebook ads account and checking out this campaign, V-Day Sale. I'd probably be cutting this thing, right? If I was looking in Ads Manager or if I was looking at First Touch Attribution, I'd be like, you suck. 0.18 ROAS you're out. Uh, but if I look at it middle funnel, it's like one of the best closers. If I look at it bottom of funnel, it's one of the best closers. So that campaign is closing. I got to keep it running. I got to adjust the targeting in there and I got to adjust the creative in there. You know what I'm saying, Casey? John, if you look at the top campaign here, this four pack lob rolls, uh, you can see actually the exact opposite effect. It's, it's bringing people into the account, into this world really effectively, but it's not that closing type. So you kind of need a little bit of both, right? Like this is Can't the Kobe. Close. One you described as the shack, together they make beautiful harmony in your ad account. Yeah, that one's lobbing it up. The other one's throwing it down. If you want to find out which of your campaigns are Kobe's, which ones are Shaq's, and which ones you should just cut entirely, don't even give them a roster spot, go to wickedreports.com and click the book a demo button. What is up? Welcome back. Modern Commerce. John here. You just heard from Casey. Uh, I'm excited about today's episode. This is an interview I have been trying to do for a while, uh, but can be a little bit hard to coordinate. Um, I am here with Mr. Jess Bachman. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best content creators in the e-commerce <laughs> digital marketing space. Uh, you, I've heard other bios. I'm giving you like the worst rundown ever because I've heard other people give rundowns where like uh, you've written stuff that's like, you know, uh, just epic, right? Because that's, that's what you're great at. You're great at taking something uh, really, really not, you know, normal, right? It's within the realm of normalcy and, and making it really unique. Um, and that's what, that's why I have you here. That's what I really want to talk about today. Um, Jess, the mastermind behind Fireteam. If you do not follow them on Twitter, uh, you need to follow them on Twitter at Hire Fireteam. Um, also, the mastermind behind the Ad Topsy YouTube channel, which is maybe one of the most like practically useful YouTube channels <laughs> in DSC. Jess, thank you so much for being here. Sorry I didn't do the intro that I have seen done in other places <laughs> because it is epic but thank you for being here my, my pleasure i'm happy to be here as well also loving i'm loving the swag man uh you guys have so so i think it's like you and triple whale but i'm gonna put it i'm gonna put you in the one spot i think fire team has the best swag in the in the d2c space uh we were we were nominated for a whaley for swag um yeah but we actually lost to, to this brand here liquid death so See, and I, I wouldn't. It's weird who is in the D to C space because Liquid Death is a D to C company. Like I think of it more in like, oh, it's got to be like a vendor or an agency right. or something like that. But, I'm not saying those awards were rigged and Liquid Death, Liquid Death paid to be a winner, but yeah, well, it's possible they might have given Raba like a year of free product, and that would have done it. But yeah. he just went in and voted for him 200 times. Himself. Yeah, I'm just asking questions. That's all. Yeah, I'm just the guy asking questions over here. I'm not saying anything. Uh, Jess, good to have you here, man. Um, 
you and I have have gone back and forth on Twitter a lot. Uh, we were at an event where you kind of really caught me caught my eye with your with your presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you are incredible, like I said, at taking something really unique or, or really uh, ordinary, right? Like something right. within the realm of normalcy, right? What is Fireteam at its core? You guys are a marketing agency, right? Sure. If you have to, if you have to use less than five words to describe what it is, that's what it is. Yep. Um, but what you what it is in the in this world is so much like I don't think a lot of people might even call it a marketing age because you've made it so unique with the way you guys have done your copy on your website with Mm -hmm. the way you guys have you know promoted and grown on Twitter and all of that stuff uh so let's start there where because because you just slapped onto the scene my guy like I've been in this space for a while (laughs) um I was in this space back when we were on all on Facebook groups we weren't on Twitter yet and and where were you? Where was Fireteam two and a half, three years ago? Where were you two and a half, three years ago? Because I don't think Fireteam was here yet, right? Yeah. So we are, we'll be three in September. Three oh, years happy old. Birthday. Happy, happy early birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think our uniqueness, I do have to give a lot of credit to the rest of the industry because the bar is so low for <laughs> performance marketing agencies. Um, and perform- Which is ironic, right? performance marketing content in general is is so low so even if you come out with like you know five percent more interesting um you you tend to stand out so um and you know that i see that in like b2b b2b in general is probably the most boring space to like be a a marketer in and it it shouldn't it doesn't need to be at all like it you know, humans are humans and you still at, at every level and in every industry, you still need to entertain and, you know, get someone's attention and make them like feel emotions and stuff. And so it, it really, it really kind of confounds me that marketers, performance marketers, whose job is to, you know, make brands interesting, really struggle at making themselves interesting. Right. Yeah. Like that's, uh, it, it is interesting. So I, I used to say, you know, back, uh, some, some people who watch show know my background, um, myself and Casey, the co-host, we had an agency that we ended up selling um, to the structured agency. Um, and we had like, I mean, we didn't even have a website for like most of the time, you know what I mean? Like we, you, you end up being the cobbler with no shoes. A lot of the times when you start specifically a marketing agency, I think, because, uh, usually you have some connections, you have this skill and, and then you start doing it for other people. And, uh, that's maybe the case with a lot of service businesses is that you have these connections, you have the skill, or you can get a couple clients, you start doing something for other people, but mm-hmm. you end up doing it for yourself. Um, I think there's this like very strong dose of irony when that thing you do for other people is more like, it's one thing if it's plumbing, right? Like right. your house isn't fixed. It's a little weird. Right. But like, you know, eventually you're going to kind of get around to it. It's very strange when it's marketing, when it's like, I'm going to get you seen, but I don't even get myself seen. Like there's this extra batch of like irony to it. Um, I I think it's one of the things that's wrong with the agency world, but I think that what you guys were founded on was just this idea of like the agency model is a little bit broken. Yeah. Yeah. So we came from the three of us in the middle here, um, me, Rachel and Nikki, we came from a traditional creative agency making commercials, um, working with like Mm. Gatorade and stuff and, you know, making creative that costs half a million dollars and needed to be shot in the Canary Islands, whatever. Um, And so and so I sort of ran the digital department there. And so 
as Facebook was getting stronger and stronger, you know, all of our clients wanted to be on Facebook ads because that was a thing. And so what we were trying to do was put these 60 second long um, manifesto videos on, on Facebook and, you know, see how they did. And they obviously didn't perform well. And the, the agency didn't want to hear that. Uh, the clients didn't want to hear that. And there was just a lot of tension between me who is like responsible for performance, which actually does not exist in a creative agency. Like performance at a creative mm. agency is um, client retention and winning awards. And if you can do those two things, like you are, you, you are a good agency, but I'm actually looking at the metrics, you know, within Facebook ads manager and seeing something very different. And so there was a lot of tension yep. there and I felt like, uh, I needed to leave in order to, I sort of caught the performance bug. I'm very data oriented. And so I needed to leave, start my own thing where we can bring some of the, like there's super creative people at these creative agencies. Right. Um, but, and so bringing that to the performance side and what I've seen is it's when we first got into the performance marketing, what I saw was kind of like the reverse where everyone was concerned about performance and no one was really attributing that to creative at all. It was, right. it was to the, your, it was shack, like your stack of lookalikes or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Your ad account structure and bidding strategy and yeah. Right. 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 And so there's a bit of whiplash there also going from ads that cost half a million dollars to trying to convince people to do something for $25. You know, it's, it's very different as well. So a little bit of whiplash there. And now I've finally feel like two and a half years into it that we've kind of calibrated the value of creative in, in this space and how it relates to performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think we're still, I don't think we're, at the point where people are truly valuing the creative, but uh, the, the narrative is being set in the right direction, I think. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, now having been a founder, I think this is a common thing uh, with people who are high-level team members, high-level <laughs> individual contributors, um, and then go off and start their own thing and become founders. When they're inside of a company, they're very able to kind of like see what the problem is, right? Like I can point out like, hey, this is the problem. Like, you know, this alignment where, you know, internally what we're rewarded on in this agency is if we retain the client and if we get an award, you know, they see this problem and it's like, ultimately that's not what is good for the client, right? Um, That's just an example. But I think a lot of times, and this happens to me when I'm inside a company, I can see the problem and I I almost get like, obsessive or very focused on it. And I'm like, I really want it fixed. And then when I go out and start my own thing and I'm a founder, I still see the problems, but they don't always get fixed. And I have this different perspective of like, oh, sometimes there's a reason problems aren't getting fixed. Like I, I almost give the that kind of company a little more grace. So let me ask you this. Since you started your own agency, um, those criticisms you have had of your of your previous agency or or, or just of the agency model in general, are there any thoughts that you used to have, um, you know, that you've, you, you kind of give the agency industry, the agency business model a little more grace on now, now that you have, have done it yourself? Uh, very little. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, That's well, surprising to hear. Cause I think that, uh, yeah, for me, it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I see why that's such a problem now, right? Like I see the conundrum and maybe I didn't fully understand it before and I do want to fix it, but there's higher priority things. Right. So yeah, perspective 
is always key. And I went into the traditional agency model from doing startups uh, and doing that type of marketing. And then Mm. I go into the traditional agency and I meet people and I was like, wait, so your only job is to write ad copy like a couple of times a week and you get yeah. you know lauded for this and, and you know paid very highly for this makes no sense to me right. um and so it was it was very inefficient uh you end up working with clients who can pay for that inefficiency which are large clients right. or like government work or or something like that or like you know nonprofits or whatever but like it, it's not a it's not an environment where uh, efficiency or or even metrics matter you know right. um so we have a quote on our websites where it's like, um, it's like, show me the, show me that the, show me the incentive and I'll show you the reward, which is from yeah. Charlie Munger. And so that is something that is deep in core into my heart. And at that previously agency, the incentives were awards and everything was even you don't need to be explicit about like, we're going to make it creative to get awards. But if that is the incentive, the whole organization is going to bend around that particular um, output and that's what you're going to get. So um, there's not much I would, I would, I'd say that they're, they're doing right. Okay. So, so the next thing I do want to ask you is, is what you think is kind of wrong with the, like if truly the agency model can be fixed and, and I actually might debate you on this a little bit and maybe I'm just a little jaded recently before we get into that and, and talk about like it, you know, is the agency model truly like, does it ever serve the client? Um, I do want to have a quick word from our, our other sponsor of this yep. show. So Casey. what's up everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Monk Commerce. It's a super slick in-car upsell app. So if I want to buy these new balance trainers, I'm trying to get in shape. I add them to my cart. My cart opens up and it says, Hey, look, you're only $5 away from free shipping. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll add this to my cart since you recommended it. And now I got my free shipping, but hold up. I'm only $38 away from a free gift. So why don't I add a pair of size eight new balance trainers to my cart for my girlfriend. She's got bigger feet than me. And now look at this. It actually automatically added that free gift straight to my cart for me. That will all be there when I check out super nifty app, super slick, super quick way to increase your AOV. Go to monkcommerce.com. Try it free on your store for seven days. Cool. So Jess, we were kind of getting into this right before that break. Um, I think that, I mean, maybe it's because I spent... To, I spent three, four years building my, four years building my own agency. I sold that. And then I was, mm-hmm. I, I led performance marketing for an agency that, and I guess I've already kind of revealed the name here um, for an agency that is kind of like well known for being a very performance driven sure. agency in the, in the e-commerce space um, for, for another two years. And uh, even before that, I was in the agency space for two or three years. So we're going on like, I'm, I'm getting close to a decade here. You know, I'm almost, I almost got my 10 year pin of agency. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, and maybe cause I'm out of it recently, I feel a little bit jaded on this model that like, it, it, does it ever truly serve the client, right? Is there ever really actually in a way, a way to align incentives in, in the way that the client, uh, let's say thinks thinks that the agency is supposed to be aligned right because it's like sometimes we have this performance pay that we're like look now we're aligned but in for real like we're not if we look at it close yeah i i think the performance marketing agency model is 10 times better than the traditional creative agency model um let's say it's not perfect and you know 
in in general, when I when I talk to brands and they're like, you know, should we do it in house or whatever? Uh, we generally say that doing something in house is better as long as you can satisfy two conditions. One, you can actually find really good people um, because the people that work at agencies are are super well trained. You have a lot of perspective, whatever. Um, they're mm-hmm. not. You know, you don't want to like train up someone on something that's mission critical as part of your business or whatever. Um, And the second part of is that is, is you can find a way to pump in some perspective into that, into that organization. Because what happens in-house is people get tunnel vision and all of a sudden you've been working on the same brand for five years and you just don't know anything. You don't know any of the new tricks. You don't know anything outside of your core customer. You just, you're so, you have the blinders on and they're like hardwired to your face that you need to figure out a way to get that out. And that's one of the best values that an agency can provide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because ultimately what happens when an agency grows and this is just inevitable as it grows. And as you take on more, overhead. So specifically team members, full-time team members that have like salaries. I'm not talking about full-time contractors who could get other work or whatever. I'm talking about people who have salaries who are depending on you to, to do revenue so that they can keep getting their paycheck. Um, I think sometimes you end up doing this thing where you don't have that discussion with the client. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have that discussion where you're like, Hey, look, you know, end of the day, I, I, it should be my job to kind of tell the client, Hey, I think you're off base on this. I don't think this is the right initiative for you. Or I don't think, you know, but, but you don't have that discussion because you're like, look, if, if I do that, they're going to de-scope. Right. Or if I do that enough times, and this is what happens, you know, sometimes it's like, if that, if I do that enough times, I I think it kind of sometimes wears the client down emotionally. They don't enjoy their relationship with me as much. They don't vibe with me as much, you know, so I pick and choose my battles and, and, um, you don't end up giving them what, what we might call good counsel, right. All the time. Um, and, and you're, you hold that back sometimes, uh, because you're like, Hey, I got, I have mouths to feed over here at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think on the performance side, and I don't know how, like how spicy you want to get here, but I think as spicy as you got, (laughs) give me all the heat. Give me the, give me the, what is it? The, the Carolina ghost pepper (laughs) of, of, of Jess opinions. Okay. So I think there's, I think there's a huge difference um, between large agencies and small agencies. Yeah. And, and I think there's a point where the small agency, you know, we're, we're only six people. We probably only want to grow till 10, till 10 or something. Um, but mm-hmm. we need to build systems to do the best work possible for our client. And those are very, they're resource intensive uh, and they're not terribly efficient as well. Um, but as we get bigger and as we get more clients, we need to start building systems that benefit the agency more than the the client work. And so things need to be standardized and, you know, SOPs need to be brought in and you really lose a lot of the, the personalization and the care that goes into doing great work. And so I feel like you get to a point where at a larger agency where uh, I don't even know if great work is, is possible unless it's almost like an aberration. That dude, that is exactly, you hit it on the nose. It's as you grow. um, And, and it's like, you know, at when you're small, you do incredible work. I always tell people, 
Hey, uh, so, so a lot of people will ask me, they'll, they'll be in a very specific stage of agency growth when they ask me this kind of stuff on like mentor pass or on Twitter or whatever. Um, they'll be like, Hey, you know, how do I grow my agency? How do I, you know, create a, either can create a consistent pipeline of clients or create SOPs that will like allow us to grow, Mm -hmm. um, as we hire more people and stuff. And I'm like, I can almost always guess, you know, if it's like a paid media agency, a performance marketing agency, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to guess you have what three, four, five team members, something like that, three to six team members. They're like, yep. And I'm like, and you have maybe roughly 10 clients right now. And it's almost like always nine to 12 clients. Right. And I don't need to brag and say like, oh, I totally know, but it's be, and here's why it is in that zone of a handful of team members. And when I say a handful, I mean like you know, you could probably count them on one hand, maybe, maybe yeah. got like one little extra in there or something like that. Maybe so in there's one, a couple in one zoom background. Yep, yeah. Yeah. There's a one zoom background is a great rule. You got one zoom backgrounds <laughs> worth of, of team members. You've got less than let's say 15. That's a big stretch, probably 12 to 15 clients. You've got less than there's a few things going on in your agency right then. One, you're probably doing some of your best work for your clients, right? Like yep. you're probably doing some of your best performance work for your clients Two you're probably having some of the most fun that you've ever had or that you're going to have building a business. Three, you as the owner or the owning the founding team are probably actually making the most money in profit that you'll <laughs> yeah. ever make. Um, and, and so that's it. When you start to grow, when you start to have it, having to do things where it's like, oh, we need to put an SOP in place for this. We need to processize this. We need to do that. that that's like a big, you know, especially when that stuff is client facing stuff or stuff that's going to go out on behalf of the client. Mm-hmm. That's when it does get, you know, in, in, in that's when you get to the point where you got mouths to feed and you got to retain clients. And, and so I do, I will say that like, look, if you're trying to grow a big business, you know, I do give agencies a little bit, a little bit of grace on that sometimes, but, but that's dead on. There's a stage of growth where I, I sometimes say, if you really, really like where you are right now, maybe you don't want to grow. Um, Okay, so I think there's a I think there's a middle road which is absolutely yeah. not talked about. Yeah, tell, tell actually, me about because this is what you're trying to do with Fire Team, right? Right, and so yeah. this middle road I'm actually pulling from the traditional agency space because in the traditional mm-hmm. creative agency, it is very possible to be a small but super well um, awarded agency and work with massive clients. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two ways to grow. One is to um, hoover in as many clients as possible at, at low retainers and for an outsource or whatever. And, you know, that is that's one way. Uh, the way we're trying to grow is trying to grow our you know reputation for one and bring in clients that can simply pay more for right. this level of expertise. And um, we're actually starting to do that. You know, we have a couple of nine figure clients now and, and you know, so I, I don't want to feel, I don't want to say, I don't want to say to people who are this size that, Hey, you can't, you know, you can't grow or everything is going to get ruined. They're like, we're still going to have fun. It's just that our, our check size is growing because people know our work and they want to work with us more than, than someone else. So I feel like that is a middle path. I don't see a lot of other agencies talking about it or even doing that in the performance space. Certainly it's there in the traditional creative agency space. And I don't know, I we're going to try and make it work. Yeah, I think I think where I see it in the performance space, or the slight difference that I see in the performance space with some agencies, and and I can think of one in particular that does this. Uh, instead of they, they try and actually tie it to a performance, right? So so they say, and I'm not even going to say percentage of spend, right? But it could be something like that, as long as 
the parameters for spending dollars are very clear and and this is a brand and this is a brand or, or client that will scale along those parameters um but sometimes it's like you know some kind of pay, like a true performance marketing where there's some kind of like payout per conversion you know or something like that and e even if you're still using the client's money so i do see some doing that where it's like hey could we get to 10 million dollars a year in agency revenue with only five clients you know, we've, it, it, I, I will say that I don't think that that's entirely, I think that's like a crazy outlier. If you do something not, like that, not, with not spending buying. your client's money. If you're, if you're spending your money, maybe, but if you're spending your client's money, I think that's going to be hard. Yeah. So not, not with media buying. Uh, there's a cap there, right? Some, some CFO is going to look at this and be like, uh, let's just start, do something else, you know? Right. Um, but there's other services, um, and this might be a, a, pejorative word but like consulting or strategy people will pay ridiculous amounts of money for at the last agency i was at we we had a hundred thousand uh, dollar a month retainers just for like hanging out and and answering questions for for a larger brand so um i think i think there's something to that and i think we can or we're just going to try and build something uh, right. along those lines, you know, it, it's uh, right. And, and, and we'll get off the agency thing a little bit, but, but I, I think it's like, look, if you're working with a brand to, to your point, if you're working with a company that is a nine figure company and, and they're probably going to, at the end of the day, probably put what, maybe 500 K 600 K, maybe even a million dollars a year into payroll for their marketing department. Um, there is a world where you can get in on, all or most or all of that as they're like, Hey, we are that team. And then a lot mm -hmm. of times if you, if you have the right focus, you will actually do a more efficient job of hiring the right people and doing and focusing on the initiatives that they need where they might actually kind of like overbloat their marketing team. Yep. Um, you know, or an internal person, depending on who the internal person is, might kind of overblow their marketing team and what, what that internal person's background is. So, so yes, I do think that there's a world. Um, but like you said, at the end of the day, best, best, best case scenario for any company is always in-house with that caveat that like, if, if that internal person you get is a Jess Bachman or is, a, you know, someone who just has that kind of experience, they're probably going to do a better job internally of getting you more for your money um, than, than anything else. I'll put one more caveat on this and say, if the agency has some kind of unique, uh, unique thing that is like kind of unique to agency. So specifically, um, cl uh, client or brands that I'm like a fractional CMO for, mm -hmm. we use agencies for our affiliate initiatives because they have all of those relationships, sure, right. Exactly. Yep. Or publisher, like, Hey, we're trying to get published on GQ and Forbes and all of this stuff. It's like, yeah, using an agency for that, that has all those relationships makes a lot of sense. Right. And so if you can actually build something like that into your agency, that's, you actually have a very valuable yep. thing. And I would say that that's a, a, a more valuable way to build an agency than by just doing like a skill or a thing, you know? Yep. Or like a unique system or, or whatever. Right. Um, I'll add one more caveat to that where the space is changing and people are evaluating yep. things differently. Um, like if I were to try to build a large media buying agency, would not do it. People are just not valuing media buying at all these days. It's become a commodity. Yep. And yep. so people are valuing creative and most of the clients come to us are who want creative only. And so we're putting like a, a VIG on ad spend for our creative yep, yep. Uh, and you know in perpetuity and it feels like you know if we charge like five percent um 
on ad spend and our creative does like 5% better than whatever's in their current account, it, it, feel, it totally feels like a very tangible sort of win-win there. Um, so I, I do wonder the heights someone can get if it's if they just do creative and it's on a percentage of ad spend as well. Uh, yeah, I've, I, have, I have seen that model before. I think that can work. I think uh, a lot of the, the downside I've heard from people who go down that route is like, oh, but then we don't control this very this other very important side of it you know um where what if they're not even really testing creative properly so they're not getting good reads on this performing well and stuff like that speaking of creative i'm gonna i'm gonna switch gears this is uh, i think when you do a like a soft transition or a smooth transition you're not supposed to call out that you're doing a transition but i'm just doing you're definitely not supposed to do whatever you're doing right now right yeah whatever it is i'm doing you're not supposed to do that Right. Let's just, yeah, let's just be clear. Um, I think, like I said, you have a superpower of, of making something that is, is a standard business model, really unique and really amazing and really stand out. Um, so tell me, speaking of creative, tell me about your YouTube channel, your podcast. Uh, do you call it a podcast? Do you just call it a YouTube channel? I, I struggle with it. It's a show. I think we call it a show. show. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah, so tell me about uh, like get, give give everyone the synopsis, the rundown of Ad Topsy because on the surface you could say this is another you know content marketing play, another B two B marketing agency content yep. marketing play, you know, or a podcast if you want to categorize it that way. But it is not like you've you've come up with a unique way to look at it. So tell us the unique way, and then tell me a little bit about like how did you do that? Like how like what is your thought process? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we we make content that we want to consume and that we're able to consume because there's like there's a lot of great marketing podcasts, but like how many can you have in rotation before you're like, these are all the same, you know, um, maybe like four tops per, you know, per week. So we wanted to do just something different. And that and that's just the way doing something different is, is a really uh, annoying personality flaw of mine where I just have to be, I have to be different. Like I used to, I used to be like an underground hip hop DJ. And as soon as like any underground artist got any level of fame, I was like, no, not for me anymore. I'm, I'm only about stuff people never have heard of. Um, so when, you know, looking at the space and like, I didn't want to do another talky podcast. Um, and so I also wanted to talk about creative, which is not something that you can like do an audio podcast describing an, an ad, uh, you know, uh, this is not going to work. So we decided to go with the YouTube format and bring in some of my favorite people, which is a bunch of people on fire team and Barry hot and, just have a fun sort of jam session where we dissect and break down other people's ads. Um, And from there, it started, you know, one thing that's really often looked over in podcasts is the rapport of the the hosts and the interactions between people. And if you don't, if you're not, if (laughs) if you're like, if you're watching it and you're like having, having fun and you feel like you're hanging out with people, yeah. uh, then you're gonna you're gonna keep do it and you're gonna and you're gonna love it and you're gonna sit through a podcast that's friggin' an hour and yeah. a half long you know you I I don't know if Casey's gonna jump in he's our best behind, behind the scenes producer today uh, everyone saw him at the beginning you heard him at the beginning we go over this all the time because he uh, our our main thing that we're trying to go grow at this point in time is our media companies right so this podcast we have a sports podcast 
and and Casey is like one of the earliest adopters of podcasts that I've ever like he was listening to JRE back in like oh nine, like on right. his laptop. <laughs> and right. uh and 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 that's he's like, no, it's like the vibe between the host and how much you identify, like you start to see them as characters and you identify right. with them. And he's like, that's what it's all about. Right. And I'm like, the way that I got into consuming podcasts was like, just give me information. Like I, I will consume it for educational content, even if I don't like the host or I don't like their chemistry or I don't like the format mm -hmm. um, or, or whatever. But yeah, like I, it is different because in the marketing space, we focus, we all focus so much on this, like, let's get tactical. You know yep. what I mean? Let's get tactical with our content. And you guys just said like, let's have a vibe. Right. Um, but you still have the tactical element of like breaking down the ads. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so part of the vibe comes from not trying to have everyone be like a super wicked expert. Um, right. Like like we have Aaron, who's like a recurring person uh, and she's not like super creative, but she just says anything that comes to her mind. And so it's just a hilarious vibe on the, you know, on the show. Right. Um, in terms of being tactical, one thing that I found was super helpful is breaking stuff into segments. So it's not like a one hour long right. interview uh, like we have. <laughs> like, what, like what we're doing right now. <laughs> like everything, again, everything I'm doing, not correct. Unbearable yes. and yeah. awful. Awful, um, yeah. So we break it into uh, fun segments. One is a reoccurring segment called the Ad Topsy Challenge where we actually, you know, we watch an ad and then we guess if it performed well or not. And, you know, Anytime you have like audience participation or anytime, or it just feels like we're putting our reputation on the line every week. And so people just sort of love yep. that. Um, and then also having other segments, some of them are reoccurring, you know, people, audiences love reoccurring bits and segments. And it feels like you're part of a club once you recognize that and, or you, we have even jingles for each of our segments, you know, right? And and those become sort of running jokes as well. So you do a lot of what, uh, and, and if people consume uh, some of the bigger like entertainment podcasts, comedy and entertainment podcasts, mm -hmm. like you know, basically everything that's offshot from Joe Rogan, um, or or others, right? Like that are are comedian led. You guys mm -hmm. do a lot of that, right? Like they'll do some of that like cheesy music that's like almost mm -hmm. it's like ironic, you know what I right. mean? Um, or or they'll just like, hey, wherever the conversation goes, like we just we just chat about that, you know. Um, yeah. it, it, you guys do that a lot, and which is why I kind of said before, you have the honor of being one of the few marketing podcasts that that my co-host listens to. Um, as a marketing podcast host, he mostly can't stand them. So, um, so, so yeah, tell me like, do you labor over this? You know what I mean? Like, I think, I, I think about it like, uh, you know, we've made this comparison before of like a, like a George RR R. Martin versus like a Stephen King, right? Like yep. where George RR R. Martin just like labors over his work. And, and I would say in almost like a, it's too much kind of way. Like I, I'm like, dude, it's, you know, you got to produce more, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, this thing isn't so good that I can forgive you for taking 15 years to write it, you know, yep. um, or 15 years to write one book. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas Stephen King just, he's like, I'm gonna crank out books. Some are going to be good. Some of them aren't going to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, do, do you do Cause I think everything you put out is pretty strong, pretty top notch, right? Like you didn't, put out a podcast until you had that where you're like, Oh, I got the concept. I got, yep. I, I got the differentiator. You didn't start your own agency until you're like, I know how I'm going to differentiate here. Right. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're like, I started it and then I figured out how I was going to differ. So yeah, that's the, the short of it is, do you labor over this? Do you think like, you know, am I, am I, you know, being creative enough? Am I being unique enough? Yeah. So 
started the podcast um, with just an idea. Actually, it started with just a name, Ad Topsy. Someone mm-hmm. came up with that pun, and I was like, that would make a great <laughs> cool. show, you know? Yeah. And so we have to fill out the expectations of that pun. Um, and so, yeah, started it with, you know, kind of janky technology. And in the beginning, it was very much uh, laborious. Uh, the editing process took hours and hours and it was almost like pretty much like unsustainable um took too much of my time but uh tech technology and finding not just technological ways but other ways to make it super efficient is critical because content success with content is um is repetition and 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 showing up uh, to get it done like you you cannot fiddle with it too much and as soon as you detect resistance you need to find a way to smooth that out somehow um, Right. Once it gets resistance where it's like, I'm like, this is so hard that it's like stopping me from creating it. or It's making me hate doing it. Yep. Uh, yes. You have to get around that. Absolutely. It, it evolves. Right. And th- that's kind of why, like, why I'm like, you know, to me that, that George R. R. Martin kind of sh- like strategy of like, Oh, I might get only get three chapters written in six months. I'm like, that's too much, man. Like you're, you're waiting for the inspiration to strike too much. Right. Like you've got to, you know, I, I love, I don't know if it's Stephen King or someone else who said like, yeah, you know, I only write when in- inspiration strikes me, uh, but inspiration just happens to strike me every day at 8 a.m., you know? And, and when, you, when you start something online, it's different than, you know, George R. R. Martin putting out a book because as soon as he finishes his next book, he's going to have a bazillion readers. If you are laboring over some podcast that you are going to put out, you first of all, you're going to have like five viewers to start, you know? So um, in the beginning, you just need to just start cranking until you until you develop that rhythm and find those efficiencies. Right. Um, I yeah no no and and I don't mean to say exactly like that, but I think I you know I think sometimes a lot of people wait and they don't start something anything because they don't feel like they have it you know like well I need to get this in line or I need to get this yeah. line I don't really have a good mic or I don't have this or that and I'm like yeah all that stuff is good but like. If you start, there's no better way to do that. We've said this before. There's no better way to do that than to like actually like shoot the starting gun off. Right. And then you're like, now I have to optimize this on the fly. I can't think of any podcast that I stopped listening to because the mic was bad. Right. If the content was good or if you vibed with it, you listen. Um, So, so I want to, I want to roll all the way through with this because I think that you've done something very unique with Fireteam where you've said, this is a, this is an agency, but you framed it up such a different way. And if anybody goes to your website, they'll see what I mean. Um, you've done that with, with a, essentially a podcast. How do you do this? How do you apply this to clients? So, so let me, I'm, I'm going to just throw, let's, let's do a segment. Let's switch it up, switch it up since I'm doing such a horrible podcast. You should do a, um, uh, a jingle, a live jingle. Yeah. We're going to do a segment. Um, <laughs> also not something that you yeah, do. We're not, not doing that again. Okay. Uh, so I want to do a segment. There you go. Casey hit me with some music. Um, here's the segment. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw something at you kind of off the top here, off okay. the cuff. And, and I'm going to say, you know, take this and tell me, I'm going to show you maybe, well, I can show you what we do with it already, but I want to, I want to know how you would make this different and unique. So it'll be a real live brand that I work with. Right. Love it. Um, what they sell. Mm, let's start here because this is a little more common. What they sell is apparel. Um, and specifically, some of their best-selling products are uh, chinos, if you're familiar with that word. It's kind of like an everyday pant. It's a, 
like it's it's not a jean and it's not uh, it's like a khaki some people call them khakis but John, i would not call chinos John, uh, yeah. i'm familiar with chinos yes yeah well i'm, I'm not everybody else's uh, <laughs> okay so i'm just you know if you're not familiar with chinos for the, for the go audience. ahead and google it google it uh jess knows what chinos are though so everyone's up to speed there yeah uh yeah so so let me start there you can ask questions um but yeah how do you take something like that that's like it's really just a pant and make it unique. Right. So we, we do have an exercise where we have a Venn diagram where it's like we try and figure out what is the overlap between uh, what, the, what the brand can say that's true, um, what the market wants to hear, and what others cannot say. And if you, can, if you can go through the exercise and make a big list and figure out something that is the overlap, that to us is the most resonant uh, marketing message possible. Uh, then you need to figure out a way how you know how to say that in particular. But um, in terms of this brand, Chinos, I don't. Is there something that's that's different about them, or not? Or okay, it's just like great. a regular brand? Great leading question. Um, they, they're they fit slightly different than a lot of Chinos that you buy. Like they fit when you put them on, they will feel a little bit better than a lot of Chinos that you buy. Um, and I can get into exactly why that is. Uh, but, I think but, I think you yeah. do knew. I think you do need to get into it because fit slightly better is not a compelling marketing message. Well, yeah, that that is actually what you would notice. Like you'd be like, oh, these are nice. You know, like they make me look good. And like usually most stuff that is going to make you look good and have kind of that slim fit is going to feel a little constricting. Uh, but these do not. And and that for men's pants actually has to do with spacing. So most most pants space too much. Put too much space in the back of the pant and not enough space in the front, which kind of like, if it's a slim fit, that means it's crushing you up in the front. It's crushing mm -hmm. the boys and it's kind of making your, your butt a little bit saggy. Um, and, and so they actually move some of the spacing forward, yeah. which I kind of just handed you the unique, you know, element, but yeah. well, I, I do think I know what this brand is. Um, right. But, um, and I bet you a lot of their ads feature like um, nice ass guys. <laughs> or you know so, something like that right well you you pegged what it is probably you pegged the brand yeah um so yeah i do i do think it sounds like figuring out what you know i think you need to set if you're going out with a marketing message like that you need to set an expectation that's like um you know chinos are great but like they don't do you any favors you know they do not do you any favors and it's like my girlfriend has these pants she puts them on and her her butt looks amazing. It's just like the way it's stitched. I don't know. You know, it, it's transformative. Um, we kind of do the same thing, but for our pants. And so now your girlfriend is going to be like, can I borrow those? So something like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so that's good. And it's different from what they're all, I, I like, I respect that you went a different way. Once you figured out who the brand was, you went a different way from what they're already doing um, because they already have found an angle that is like a kind of a unique selling proposition and works a little bit. Um, and you went a different way from it let's backtrack a little bit and let's mm -hmm. get into a role play here where we say there's not really anything that differentiated about this, right? Like they yep. are. It, it, so, so when, when your job gets really hard is when it's like, this is just another pant It is just another Chino. How do I make this different? Yep. Um, so that, that gets into another hot button issue where a lot of times differentiation comes down to raw, brand um and you know it's like you know magic spoon has a differentiation in terms of like technically friggin low sugar or whatever but like the brand is so 
differentiated that that's what people are appealing to. That's what their brains are like. Oh, this is, this is an interesting brand. This looks, this looks interesting. And then their brains are like self-rationalizing with that technical difference uh, related to their ingredients or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a lot of brands that do that. You know, I'm, I'm literally wearing liquid death, yeah. liquid death, which is just water <laughs> um, with a, you know, a ridiculous amount of branding attached to it. And it's so effective. Yeah. Um, but it's also not something that performance marketers know how to do at all. This is not even in the, the realm of their skill set. Um, well, how do you get it? How do you get into that? Because uh, to me, it seems like, you know, if that's what you are, if you're just another Chino, if you're just another pant, if you're just going to sell water, whatever it is, it's like, well, then we probably have to get to a place where we're OK with like offending some people to make other people identify with us. Yes. No, it's. It's not even it's not even that it's like marketers when they talk about brand, it's like, how does the brand look in my how does the ROAS look on my friggin brand stuff? And then so the the conversation's over at that point, you know, right. So, yeah. um, So, So how do you go about that conversation or how do you like, well, let me ask you this. When a brand let's start here. When somebody comes to you, wants to work with you, they sell a product that doesn't really make maybe it is just another Chino. Maybe it is just another kind of water, right? Um, they might have some kind of way that they say, oh, it's differentiated this way. But it's like at the end of the day, you guys are just you're saying the same thing anyone else is saying about, you know, that sells this product. Number one, do you even work with with brands or companies that don't really add anything to the market? Or do you say, no, you do have to have something unique that you truly add to the market, you know, or we won't work with you? Yeah, uh, sometimes, so we do work with companies that aren't uh, very differentiated, and then it's our job to do the differentiation. Do yes, but okay. we, we'll only do that if the the founders are aligned that that work needs to be done. And again, you know, that work is is truly not done in the ad account. It's done no. uh, on the website, in the packaging, on organic social, and and, and everywhere else too. You know. Right. So, so do you go, do you just, just decide or do you start with a market that you want to appeal to or, you know, how is that? I mean, I guess we don't maybe have time to unpack, like, here's how you do branding in 10 minutes. Right. Um, But, but what is it? I mean, I guess here's the real question is uh, a practical kind of application for performance marketers or for brand owners. A lot of people who watch this are either performance marketers or, uh, you know, they're agency owners, agency marketers. Mm -hmm. Um, or their brand owners or internal marketers at a brand, like what is sort of the practical application for like, look, you're not going to see this show up in ROAS, but here's how you actually create something that's different, you know, even if you're not different Um, or here's where you start. Right. So I'm glad that some of the performance conversation has shifted to uh, MER or, you know, blended stuff because that does capture the brand affiliation uh, to a certain extent. And, yep. and, and that's why we are also full service. Like we're six people, but, and we're a performance marketing agency, but we have one full-time organic strategist because uh, whenever we have to do this work, it is critical to um, do this work on social in, in different ways as well. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I will agree that the brand ads don't work uh, in platform, uh, necessarily until you get to the point where you're so big and you're like, uh, yeah. you know, you're like hex clad and you just have this general halo. Then everything over. works. Then yes. everything works. Right. Like, and I, I said, I see big brands like that all the time where it's like, well, this, you know, this creative really, really works, you know? So can you argue with it? Look at the row. And it's like, 
this this brand is so big that everything's going to work. You could you could re- literally pump everything in there. Like I think I've said, like you know, <laughs> this the founder could go to the bathroom, take a picture of the toilet, and put it in the ad account, and it's going to return a five ROAS. You know, like this is just right. the brand's huge and people love it, and it's going to work. And it's, um, it's just a matter of frequency, like at right. that point. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. But but for most of us that aren't in that category. Yeah. I mean, I think it is just like, I mean, let, let, I'll, I'll put it this way. Like, you know, if 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 that's it and that's kind of what I'm you know, the reason I'm asking you is I'm actually just picking your brain live for a brand that I'm working with, because it's like, you know, we do have a little bit of a unique uh, differentiator, but it's like it's kind of like one ad angle when it comes down to it yep. uh, of, hey, this, you know, makes your booty look better just like your girlfriend has all of these things that make her booty look better and stuff like that and and um and we don't you know at the end of the day it's like well how does that grow to 10 million or 100 million or something like that you know so i think with something like that you do need to do the strategic or consultant work or whatever to figure out what to to back up a bit and be like what are some of the the major assets here and how can that translate into some overarching uh, messaging that's going to work and then what are the extensions or the legs or the executions of that overarching messaging where they see the ad and then they are exposed to some of this on the website or whatever and they're like oh that makes sense Um, a good example is like chubbies you know you know they are short shorts your shorts yeah Yeah. short shorts but yeah they're shorts i mean but there's there's so much of a vibe that they communicate uh, on their website in their ads it's like a fun club for dudes you know yep do you, so, so let me ask you this, because they essentially said like they, they did kind of what I'm talking about earlier, where they said, you know, look, we sell clothes that literally any guy can wear, but we're going to vibe with some guys and and like specifically probably turn off some other guys because they don't like the vibe. Yep. But that's going to make his vibe so much harder with those those that, like core market. Uh, you know, you could compare it to uh, politicians like, you know, uh, pandering or catering to their demo, right? Um, or to their core voters. Like, you know, they, they've kind of decided like, we, you know, we don't care who we offend. We just want to vibe with our core people. Right. Um, do you think that something that has a true like, okay, in, in, in actuality, the total addressable market for men's pants is all men, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if, do you think like, hey, if you're saying Tam is something that broad, you're probably not actually creating enough of a brand. Right. So uh, I think it's, I think it's two parts. One is figuring out, you know, it, you, it may be natural to think that, you know, yes, all guys can wear pants, but there's only a specific type of guy that's going to resonate with this particular, you know, type of, of benefit. And that Tam is too small to build a big business out of. Um, so you, you think that, but then you need to expand it into like, what are some of the, the meta or overarching emotions related to that particular thing. And it's, it might be like guys want to feel sexy or something. And as soon as right. you expand the brand to that, like the, the total adjustable market becomes much bigger. And now it's more than just about pants and you can talk about different things um, right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and this is something I've been talking to this brand a lot about because I was like, look, at the end of the day, like you either are going to wholesale, like if you want to grow this to a hundred million dollars, you're either going to wholesale the crap out of it, you know, and, and you just be every, every retail, you're going to do more in retail or wholesale sales than you are in, in direct sales, or you're going to become, you know, in essence, a media company, right? So you might have a podcast, you might have a YouTube channel, you might have, you know, look at, if you look at like a black rifle coffee, like, yeah, it is just coffee. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's a, it's about 
like how do we talk to these people right. about everything you know right because when people are when people buy a brand they're they're literally buying the brand Right. You know, and the, the product comes along with it. And so mm-hmm. if you can plan a fat, the flag, like the easiest way to do something is the biggest shortcut is to take a stand and it doesn't have to be like political or whatever. But if you are like, um, guys deserve to feel sexy in their clothes, like they just deserve it. Like you deserve yeah. to feel sexy. And it's like, we are the brand that believes that also it has to do is buy into that concept and then you could shovel them whatever you want, you know, yes. product wise. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So I'll send you an invoice. Yeah. Invoice me, hit me. Uh, I owe you some money now for that consulting call. Um, thanks for the clip. I can send to the, just, you know, (laughs) um, my subcontractor here. So, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you do in, in building your personal brand. Mm -hmm. Um, first part of this question, do you think every, do, do you think we're headed in a direction where most companies will have to or will or will have to have a personal brand associated with it. Right. And, and I'm going all the way from like D to C companies, like either the founder or, or some like, like there's gotta be a personal brand associated with it. SaaS companies, you know, agencies, all of that. Are, are we headed like in a, this direction? Like is, is it individual it's person? Yeah. It's definitely getting more and more common. I think, right. Like you didn't used yep. to see uh, that, especially in D to C and in SaaS. Now it's like now in SaaS, every founder is essentially trying to build a personal brand. Um, so do you, do you think that's a direction we're headed in where, you know, people like to buy from people and, and we'll get fewer and fewer brands that don't have a personal brand associated no. with it or aren't putting, you don't think that. Not all right, at all. Well, cool. Hard. No, uh, we'll just it, go a different direction then. Well, it's, it's because first of all, um, we're not going to go in that direction because it is very difficult to build a personal brand. Yes. And it's, it's, it's also, I'd say it's also impossible to have someone build a personal brand for you. Like yep. If you're a founder and you're like, I don't like dead and whatever, and your yep. VA is going to do it. It's not going to work. Nope. Not- dead. Yes. Cause so this is exactly why I wanted to ask you about it because you're good at, you're building your personal brand. Let me ask you this. What is your main role at fire team? Like what is your main, like, here's how I create impact. My main job day to day at fire team is to do this because it, I, I have not seen very many companies. Go ahead. Just tell me the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's hard to say the main role. I'll give you two roles. Um, one is drum up new business. Okay. Uh, and then the other one is I have eyes on all the creative. Uh, okay. So steering that those two ships, I guess. I see. Okay. But you're not really responsible for executing on creative. It's more of there's some kind of process by which you put eyes on it give feedback and then there's you know a fa- feedback loop that comes back around to you yeah. except when the creative is like high-end consulting yeah um but we do have like a video editor and we have creators yeah. and stuff like that so so i so a, wa- a lot of the way that you drum up new business i'm assuming is by building your personal brand yes yes okay so well, i the fire team brand i would I, I wouldn't say like the fire team Twitter account is not Jess Bachman. Um, it's at right. higher fire teams. And I actually do have my own personal Twitter, which I haven't touched in years. So I actually did make a conscious decision to be like, we're going to start as a brand uh, and see how this goes. Right. So and you've actually changed it because it used to be fire team or higher fire team. Right. And then you've changed as the name. name. The handle's the same, but the, the name is now like Jess at fire team, I think. Yeah. And the avatar is like uh, my face or something. So I did, right. I did take that a little bit of a turn, but. 
Um, but but your voice was never third per like your voice was always first person. Right. Um, so so it was like oh it's clear there's, there's one there's a person behind this right you're saying my and, sure. and things like that. Um, so I, I want to get your opinion on like, because I think you're absolutely right that building a personal brand is really hard. I, I think that there is this sort of like viewpoint in the industry of like, oh, yeah, might as well build a personal brand. And, and if you you go interview at a company, right, you, Jess, you're interviewing me, John, to mm-hmm. work at Fireteam. And I say, yeah, I'm very interested in building, you know, my personal brand, you know, in the business, in the marketing industry um, and, and doing that. Like, you know, what is your response to that? going to be as, as an employee yeah yeah like let's yeah. say i'm you're looking to hire me as an employee yeah yeah so i would say absolutely 100 percent, do it not because i'm there's going to be any new business leads down the road but because putting the reps of building your personal brand is an amazing way to grow and get smarter and, and um those types of things so i i so i think that a lot of companies say exactly that uh, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, do it, build your personal brand. What they mean is do it on your own time. Right. And that might Mm. be what you mean too. um, do it on your own time. I think we live in this world of remote work culture where what is your own time? It's gotten a lot more dicey. Right. Um, and I think in, in many cases that we're, uh, sort of encouraged to build a personal brand, you know, by either not, maybe not encouraged by our work, but we're encouraged by just the general environment or whatever. Um, but it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, from a practical perspective, it, it actually takes a lot of time and input and thought. And especially in something like marketing, you know, part of building a personal brand is engaging. Well, what if it, most of the engagement happens through, you know, between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m., right? Like, right. are you allowed to be on, at, on Twitter during those hours? Like, what does it mean to do something on your own time? Um, so I, I want your views. It's not a fully formed question, but I want your views on that because you do a lot of it, but you've said, Hey, this is my role here. And I almost think that it's, it's very hard to build a personal brand when you work within a company, if it's not kind of your main role. Yeah. So yeah. And it's, it is, it is challenging. And there's, I think there's people who are just natural at it and will absolutely crush. For example, Tommy, uh, at triple whale who Mm -hmm. does their tweeting and now is like, almost like bigger than, you know, know, the triple account or whatever his account. Right. Um, And so those people are, you know, they'll be hard to hang on to because they're flooded with opportunities as well, but they're going to be hard to hang on to regardless. Yeah. You know, so you can't stop unstoppable forces, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't, and you can't, I I encourage people to, to try it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but like you also can't force success on to someone either. And I think, I think if if someone goes through that exercise of trying it and, and sort of failing, they have a better understanding of of how much effort it actually takes to do that, you know, and how valuable the, you know that personal brand building exercise is. We think about the viewpoint that uh, those who have the biggest personal brand uh, in a space are not oftentimes the ones that actually know the most about executing in that space. The ones that know the most about executing in those in that space are the ones that you don't know about. They're not on Twitter. Right. That's why you talk about high level strategy stuff as you get bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're not executing because building a personal brand takes so much time that you aren't executing on it as much. You you talk about you talk about what you know, you know, Um, and not to say that there's not big 
audiences that want the sort of high level. I mean, that's actually friggin' like Gary V now these days. Right. Yeah. What does he ever say that you can actually apply? <laughs> it's the most general um, milk Flip. toast thing possible. So yeah, go to garage sales and sell stuff on eBay. And, yeah. And there's there's a reason why Wonder Bread's like the best selling bread. So right. Yeah. I mean, it's just plain. I get it. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Um, I, I do think that though, like if you, if you're looking at the people, so, so I think that the danger comes in my, my like last thing on this sort of thing. And then we'll wrap up is uh, I think that the danger comes when those people who are big in an in industry, right. And this is big in, in direct to consumer marketing SaaS, whatever, those people who have big personal brands and, and like big followings are sort of the ones slinging advice and slinging stuff, you know, through their own personal brand that then the rest of the industry who's trying to make it and trying to do stuff in that space looks at and, and kind of takes as law and takes as gospel. And it's like, yeah, you realize like they're pretty out of it, right? Like they're not like up to date. They're not doing it. And, that, and you know, they might actually just be saying something that, you know, might get more engagement than the actual true thing. And, you know, and I think what's yes, as true, but also what's worse is um, everyone has an agenda and yeah. the, the, what their their perspectives are slinging towards solutions that they provide. And, and sometimes know? not even on, per, like, it's just subconscious. You know sure. what I mean? I don't think that people are, are always being, like, purposeful about that. It's just like, you know, why have we moved towards this world of, oh, uh, super broad targeting, super simplified ad account structure? It's like, well, you know who the biggest personal brands are? Uh, agency people. Right. Yeah. And you know what's the easiest thing to processize and make an SOP out of <laughs> right. broad structures and super simple account structures. So, uh, right. yeah, I mean, and we don't need to go down that road. And I'm not saying that they're wrong about that take even. But uh, but yeah, like a lot of times it's like they, they self-fulfill, you know, anything, any input they get that fulfills that idea. They're like, oh, yes, this is the way. And I'm the same way I talk about creative because and how important it is, because that's what we do. Um it's still valid opinions, but just always know, like, in the back of your mind, like, what is the, you know, what's the angle here? Right. Yeah. What What am I, what am I, what, what are my own biases that I'm like kind of confirming? Right. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think about that all the time when I build my personal brand and I think it makes me worse at building my personal brand. People like, uh, you know, I won't say any names, but some people who just sling it out there and do a way better job. They get more engagement, but that is the struggle. Um, Jess, I want to wrap up. I know you have a heart out here in a second. Um, trying to think of a good parting, a good ending segment. I'm just going to go with our standby here uh, and I'm going to go with a parting shot. The theme of this episode is differentiating and taking something that is, you know, relatively ordinary or is not some unique, crazy new business idea. You know, it's not Uber, it's not whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and, but making it into that unique thing and, and using the marketing, the messaging, um, the copy, the branding, all of that to make it yep. into that thing. Parting shot from you based on our whole discussion here. Like, what do you think is, is the most important takeaway? You know, if somebody's going to listen to one minute of this podcast at the end of the podcast, cause that's how everybody listens to podcasts. Yeah. So I think it's not to look hard about how you're different, like open your eyes to the get perspective on the entire landscape. Um, one analogy I like to use is like, do you know how much pavement, like on a sidewalk, how much pavement it, it needs to be raised for you to like trip over? It's probably like two centimeters. 
you know? And so if you look at a landscape and it's so, and everyone looks the same, it really does not take much. You don't have to like revolutionize your business and do meta NFTs in order to be different. You just need to look at the landscape and be like, how is everyone else talking? And I'm going to talk in a different way uh, that's still appealing. So if, you, if you're not like, if you, if you feel like you're not super creative or super unique, uh, I guarantee you, you are much more unique or you could find that uniqueness if you open your eyes a little bit and see how boring everyone else is. For sure. And I, I will tag that and just say, sometimes you can take it from other industries. Like we were talking about the podcast Adtopsy earlier. A lot of the principles for Adtopsy that make it unique in the marketing space yep. is that it takes, it pulls things from podcasts in other spaces that that really work. So uh, I appreciate it, Jess. Jess, appreciate you being on. Everybody check out uh, Jess on Twitter at Higher Fire Team. Uh, check out his YouTube. It's linked in the description of our YouTube. Probably will be linked in the description of the podcast. Check out uh, Adtopsy. Um as always, thank you for being here. If you're on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or audio platform, please rate and review. That helps us a lot. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the bell icon, hit the subscribe button, all the YouTube things that the YouTubers say at the end. I don't even know them all, but do them all. You've also, heard them before. Also, check out uh, John's Twitter, John J.H. Coyle. <laughs> He's having a little trouble with his personal brand and any yes. type of uh, adoration you could lay on him <laughs> would be appreciated. <laughs> yeah, it really, yeah, it helps me, you know, feel like I'm actually valuable in the world. Yep. Um, Jess, thanks for being here. Modern Commerce, until next time, we will see you.